If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. Today's guest is the historical researcher Pamela Roberts. Pamela joined me to speak about her recent project, which investigates the lives of three black American activists who visited Britain in the early 20th century. These three women, Mary Church Terrell, Rosetta Lawson and Josephine Wilson-Bruce, turned their attention to issues including women's rights, civil rights, temperance and education. Pamela has recently produced a play inspired by their stories, and I spoke to her to find out more. So you're joining me to talk about your research on three remarkable African-American women of Washington's black elite who visited Britain in the early 20th century. So before you introduce us to these women properly, could you just outline some of the issues that they were campaigning on at the time? Um, Thank you for inviting me. Yes, I will. Um, So the three women that I look at, Mrs. Mary Church Terrell, Mrs. Lawson and Mrs. Bruce, they campaigned vigorously on civil rights um, circa 1900 and the women's suffragette movement, but also in terms of black participation within the suffrage movement. Each of the women had their own area of expertise in terms of campaigning. So if we look at Mrs. Church Terrell, she was known as the Grand Dame of Washington, came from a very elite family. So Mrs. Mary Church Terrell campaigned vigorously on education, civil rights, and also um, nursery and kindergarten reform 
and also maternal care. The reason for this was very tragically, Miss Church Terrell lost three babies as a result of the endemic racism at the time. And she felt one of her babies was born and died two days later as a result of the poor health care. So this was a cause very close to her heart and very passionate. Miss Rosetta Lawson, she campaigned on adult education. Her and her husband, Jesse Lawson, who was the chief examiner and financial director of the African American Council, a forerunner to the NAACP, they founded a university. It was named the Freeland Housing University after Senator Theodora Freelancer, a New Jersey senator who Rosetta's husband spoke highly about when he campaigned for civil rights and uplifting the black race. So the Freeland, Freeland Housing University originally started as a Bible school in 1906 and the ethos and objective behind the university was, as Rosetta said, the children are now being educated but their parents also need to be uplifted. So they set up the university, providing a range of business, secretarial, accounting courses to uplift that black population. They're also very active in historical and literary activities. Miss Josephine Bruce was the wife of the first black senator, Kelso Bruce, but she came again like Mrs. Terrell, distinguished black family. Her father was an esteemed dentist in Philadelphia, and in 1841, he wrote sketches of the higher colored population, very much as a illustration of the black elite and upper class. And it was also a kind of illustration to white society of not every black person you you think of is in that low position. So it was very much a case of, heaven forbid, if white people think we're all the same, we're not. So she came from a very distinguished family. She became a teacher in Cleveland when she married Kelso. Their marriage caused a storm in terms of it was very much talk of the town within the kind of Washington black elite society. And again, she campaigned vigorously for civil rights and suffrage movement. So I want to ask you about their activities in more detail. But why did you pick these three women in particular? What was it about them that really fascinated you and made you want to focus your research on them? So the backstory, how I came to find these three women, three amazing, fantastic women. Um, I am a founder and director of Black Oxford Untold Stories, which celebrate Oxford University black scholars from the turn of the 20th century to the present day. My research about James Arthur Harley, who was the first black scholar to undertake the anthropology diploma at Pitt Rivers Museum in 1909, So researching about Harley to produce my second book, I started to research his background. Now, Mr. Harley came to Washington at the turn of the 20th century um, by accident. So he's in Washington. 
he gained a job at St. Luke's Church. And St. Luke's Church was a pinnacle church for the Washington Black Elite. So the Washington Black Elite is a group of Black people who, through their own efforts, um, founded their own banks, insurance societies, churches, etc., because of segregation. So there were about 100 families out of a population of 75,000 black people. So a very small elite group of black people. So Mr. Harley came and had a job at the St. Luke's Church as a choir master and a Sunday school teacher. There he met a young woman called Josephine Lawson. So Rosetta Lawson's daughter. So in researching Josephine Lawson, I then came into contact with Rosetta Lawson and this amazing, while researching her, came to my attention, Mrs. Bruce and Mrs. Terrell. And what I found fascinating about these women, they were seen as, within the society, very removed, very elite, having what I describe as soirees and afternoon teas. And the question I posed to myself in my research was, is that all they did? Were they just these wonderful adornments on the arm of their husband? When I started to delve deeper and look and explore and unpack what they actually were doing, it fascinated me that here were these women, yes, they were having tea parties, but these tea parties in a way were the planning meetings for being active and their activism. And they were dynamic within their own right. But you only ever heard of the men. You didn't hear the stories of these women. And why was that? So they were seen as these kind of lovely, nice, floaty, floaty women and swanning from here to there, but really being active and at sometimes putting their lives at risk for what they were saying. And in terms of suffrage, and calling for not only votes for women and, you know, uplifting black men. They were very, very dynamic and passionate at the time. So I just found that totally fascinating. And again, as women's history and as black women history, you don't hear those stories and you don't see those stories. And what really triggered it for me, I came across an article in the Coloured American newspaper and it was 1899 and this is when Rosetta went to Scotland to speak and I found it fascinating in the article she said upon my return to America I will stop in Paris and London to buy silk gowns at first reading this I thought have I got the date wrong this is 1918 something this can't be right, a black woman buying silk gowns. First of all, she's travelling. And it was my very kind of, the narrative that I had or the visual imagery you see of black women at the turn of the 20th century is the mammy, the maid, you know, the person in the cotton field, back bent, you know, blistering from the hot sun. It is not of a black woman going and speaking in Europe and then coming back and buying silk 
gowns. So it was totally, totally, wow. I need to know more about this woman. I think that's what's so fascinating about this this world of the Washington Black Elite, as you call it. Can you give us a sense of this world and where it fit in American society? Was it connected much with um, white elites at the time or was it quite distinct? Was it quite self-sufficient? So in terms of the research I started to do, I then later found out there were elite societies right across America, Philadelphia, Washington, New York. Everybody had their elite society and their names. So in my case with the Washington Black Elite, it was this self-contained society. And you couldn't get access to that society unless you had lineage. And one of the things I re- my research looked at with Rosetta was interesting. She would be called academically elite because of her work with the school and the university. However, she came from Virginia and her husband from Maryland. So they were seen as interlopers. They weren't seen as true Washington people with that heritage and that elitism. So they were very much outsiders. So to gain acceptance into society, you had to have this kind of cachet of the old pedigree of your own family. So they were very much, they were people, but they weren't our kind of people. So it was a very self-contained society in terms of the clubs they frequented, clubs for their children. And again, based on segregation, because no access to these services. So they created their own society. Now, some historians may argue, was that because to replicate white society or to project this image of we're as good as you? Some of that I think partly is true, but others, again, Mrs. Church Terrell, it was about uplifting their own race and looking at what we can do and being self-sufficient. So the word uplift, you've used several times in this conversation. Can you just explain what that meant at the time, the, the kind of theory behind it? So to uplift is to kind of progress the race or to progress yourself and, and elevate. So you're lifting people with you. So it's almost a, a case of you're doing this for yourself, but you're helping other people up. One of the issues I found when I looked at the, the, the women I researched and the Washington Black elite, were they uplifting the race or were they uplifting themselves? So were you doing this, was you doing this for the benefit of the black community or was it a case of your own self-mobility? And what did you find? I found it was for the benefit of the black community and lifting people as you go. And that was the motto of the National Coloured Women's Association lifting as we climb so you may climb and you may get the opportunity but you need to look back and pull others up it's not a case of you just racing to the top of the ladder and say hey look at me aren't I wonderful there was a duty of you have to pull people up you have a platform that's what you need to do what really struck me when I was looking at the lives of these women before we had this conversation is the the range of issues that they were interested in and campaigned on so civil rights anti-lynching women's rights temperance education did they see them all as part of the same struggle really or did they see them as quite distinct fights 
they were all interlinked and all part of the same fight. Each one of the women had their own specialism, if you like. Rosetta Lawson was the chair of the women's temperance movement. And, and with that very passionate, as I said, about women's rights and how drink can affect women in terms of the partner, the husband and the impact that would have. So if they're drinking, they're spending money, they're not providing for the children, the issues. So you find this kind of cross-cutting, interlinking themes right through. And one of those interlinking themes, I guess, is between women's rights and women's suffrage and civil rights more broadly. Can you explain the connection that the women saw there? One of the issues I explored with women's suffrage and civil rights, the three women were very passionate advocates for suffrage, but also the issue I explored during my research was the racism that existed within that movement and very overtly blocking black women in terms of their activism and being part of it. And very much so Mrs. Terrell and Mrs. Bruce coming from a standpoint of we're all campaigning for the same issues. However, you're you're blocking us from doing that. Um, The Women's March in 1913 it was a day before, sorry, the day, yes, the day before President Woodrow Wilson inauguration, there was a great march um, by the women's suffragette movement to Washington, D.C. Historians have said that the black women were segregated and marched at the back. However, Mrs. Terrell marched in that. She, she came to the march in Washington with Howard University Delta segment fraternity. So they were active in promoting to the suffragette movement, were campaigning for the same issues. And again, it's interesting when you look at the suffrage movement, there's an invisibility of black women, or there's the narrative is not told about black women. And these women were very active in kind of profiling and campaigning for suffrage. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. Probably from the 1950s to present day, this explosion of what people think of the civil rights. But civil rights, in terms of that terminology, was happening way before the 1960s. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. 
That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash history extra. Another issue that they were incredibly active in was education. Can you just tell us a bit about some of their activism in, in that area? Um, so in terms of education, Mrs. Church Terrell, she was a teacher at M Street School. And M Street School was one of the first schools in Washington for black children. So this comes off the back of a history of black people not being educated. If you were, you're at the danger of being lynched, killed, etc. The M Street School was like the pinnacle school for black children. And Mrs. Terrell was a teacher at the school. And it's where she met her husband, Robert Terrell. Back in those days, once you married, you couldn't remain a teacher. When researching the history of the school and education, I found it had this, what I would call a roll call of black elite educators. So you had Richard Greener, who was a first graduate from Harvard University, Dr. G. Woodson, who was a founder of what was then known as Negro History Week, and is now known as Black History Month, Anna Julia Cooper, who went on to become the first woman to great to gain a PhD from the Sorbonne University in Paris, France. So you had a school with this elite pedigree of teachers, primarily because they weren't employed in white institutions as educators. So the three women had this, this grounded in education and known its value and importance. So Miss Terrell, as a former educator, also a gifted linguist, she campaigned vigorously for educational rights. Mrs. Lawson, as I previously mentioned, founded the university and a passionate educator. She also was chair of what's called the Alley Projects. Now, the Alley Projects were similar to like, um, in America, you would call them housing projects. In England, probably the council estates. Um, she set up after-school clubs, educational activities for the people in, in the alley projects. So they were all keen advocators of education and pushing that message of being educated and coming back to uplifting, to kind of you go forward and take the mantle and take the next step. You've mentioned a couple of times very briefly that there were obviously dangers associated with this kind of activism and striving for for more for the black community. Was there any personal cost to this activism for these women? So Mrs. Church Terrell, the bravery in terms of stepping out of what was this perceived image of a society woman, a society woman. So you're raising issues that you're not meant to talk about. You're going against a very patriarchal system. You were meant to be at home, cook and clean and raise kids. You were almost invisible. So your opinion, your thoughts were not canvassed, were not considered. So here was this woman speaking out and stepping outside of this mold. 
protesting about lynching in the South, the horrific effects of that, protesting about women having the vote, black women having a vote, and why you need to have that vote, going on speaking tours around the country and around the world, if you like, talking and campaigning about these issues very eloquently. Um, Her own personal costs was the cost to her health. She lost three children I spoke about. And for me, it was that mask that she wore in terms of how people perceived her. She lived in a lovely neighbourhood in the big house. She was, you know, moving in society circles. But it's also own personal pain and grief and dealing with those issues. And I feel she had this mask in terms of still continuing to fight, but not having time to express her own personal grief. It was very much a case of she continued fighting. So the impact of her own personal health as well. Mrs. Bruce became or was invited by Booker T. Washington to become the principal of the Tuskegee Institute, which is in the South. And one of the things she writes about is the kind of horrific imagery she sees and when she arrives. So Josephine's coming from this gilded, wonderful background, almost like a canary, a lovely canary in a gilded cage, and now suddenly thrust into the, the deep South and what she finds. And she becomes the principal and also developing education for women. So the South circa 1900s, one can only imagine the horrific racial prejudice. Yes, Washington was segregated, but the assumption is the horrific racial prejudice with the lynching in the South was much more apparent than it was in Washington. So for Josephine, upon being at the institution and dealing with and trying to educate and uplift those women. I just find that amazing, a culture change and culture clash and what she was able to do. And one of the issues I I feel with Josephine as well, she was a very light-skinned black woman. And how that was perceived in terms of she's too light to understand the issues of a black person. And during my research and the play that I've produced subsequently, I talk about it doesn't matter how light or dark you are, the hands of Jim Crow stretches out and strangles everybody. So she also had to deal with those issues. And one of the issues she dealt with, she wasn't elected when she stood for, I think it was vice president for the National Women's Association, because they said, she's too light, she can't identify with us. So that brings into the issue of colorism as well, and also elitism. Mrs. Lawson, I find she was like skirting on the periphery of the Washington black elite. So in terms of the dangers she's faced, she had to be very powerful to know her own mind and convictions to actually start the university And they campaigned and fundraised vigorously to keep the university going. So all these three women were brave in their own rights. And I think 
history, we can look back now and say, oh, that was easy. But within the context of the time, what they faced, I think was truly heroic. Can you tell us about their trips to Britain? Why did they go to Britain? What did they hope to achieve? And also, what kind of reception did they find there? Subsequently produced a play um, from my research, and the play is called An Evening with Mrs. Terrell. And the basis of the play is of the women coming to Scotland to attend the World Women's Congress. Now, this was based on the real event where Mrs. Lawson was invited by Lady Henry Somerset, who was the chair of the Women's Temperance Movement. And she invited several members from Washington to attend the National Temperance Conference. So Mrs. Lawson and the members raised money for them to attend Scotland. So they were really well received and warmly received. And when one of the articles Mrs. Um, Lawson wrote, she talked about the wonderful reception, how they're recognised by Scotland, the delegation, the appreciation for their work, and they're much more recognised and rewarded in Scotland than they are in their own country. So they were really warmly received in Scotland and in terms of them promoting their work. The aim of travelling to Europe was to let people know what was happening, and specifically with with lynching and the horrors black people, black women were facing. So here were these women who were fortunate enough to be invited, in the case of Mrs. Terrell, to have that platform for them to come and speak to people to let them know what was happening within America. How well remembered are these women in the US today? Unfortunately, it's very sad. That's what I found in terms of their history. This is why I wanted to, to write the piece and do my research. Mrs. Mary Church Terrell is now gaining more prominence. Um, there's been a recent biography produced by Alison Parker called Unceasant Militant, which um, looks at her life through her archive. And Mrs. Terrell left this fantastic archive at the National Library of Congress with all her papers and writings and speeches. What's interesting, there's been a number of children's books produced about Mrs. Terrell. And whether that's because it's seen as a nice narrative story, it's very much beginning, middle, end. Here's this woman, she did this, and it's wonderful, and she died. That's now slowly beginning to change. Mrs. Lawson, there's no written book about her that I've been able to find. And I think I'm an expert on Mrs. Lawson. And I find that so, so sad in terms of the work she did, both her and her husband. And it's almost, as I said, she's been forgotten. Her voice has disappeared into the ether of time. Mrs. Bruce... I would say maybe more notable, but only because of her husband. There have been books written about her husband and she's almost a kind of an appendage to him. She's not profiled within her own rights and in her own capabilities or what she has produced and her contribution. So overall, 
the, these women and many other black women who were active at the turn of the centuries and early civil rights, they have been forgotten. So if I mention a name to you, Rosa Parks, I'm as sure that you would know who she is and what she is known for. Now, think of 1908, Mrs. Church Terrell gets on a trolley bus and she's asked to move and she refused to move. This is 1908 and I'm sure a lot of people don't know that. So there's a wonderful saying before Rosa Parks that was Mrs. Terrell. But how many people know about that? Why do you think that this earlier era of civil rights campaigners has maybe been overshadowed by the later era? Um, two, two reasons is, first of all, I think it was dominated by men. Not think it, it was dominated by men. The prominence of the 60s, you think of Dr. Martin Luther King and um, Malcolm X, etc., Stokey Carmichael, and all the great names that we know, you tend to look at it from that start point or that point of view. What I found with my research was these women were very active and even Rosetta's husband, they were talking about Black History Month and campaigns and celebrations. And I just found that fascinating because it's this kind of construct of the 21st century we celebrate Black History Month, but it was happening way before. But getting back to the question of why I think the early eras disappeared, it's the profile. The information is there in the archives, but you need to look for it and it needs to be promoted and needs to be highlighted and it needs to be put into the mainstream. And and probably because something like the media and television didn't exist. So you don't have that high profile or visibility of seeing or hearing about these stories. That's slowly starting to happen with the work of historians like myself and other historians. But it's very much focused on, probably from the 1950s to present day, this explosion of what people think of the civil rights. But civil rights, in terms of that terminology, was happening way before the 1960s. That was Pamela Roberts. Pamela is the founder and director of the Black Oxford Untold Stories Project. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt, Jack Bateman and Brittany Colley.